Welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show where once again I am joined by my co-host with the most, a man who this week made his long-awaited debut. He's come back to the over-45s football club where he put in a man-of-the-match performance even though he's only 23, G. I thought I'd step up and play at a um, higher level and go into the over-45s and become the fastest player on the field. Man of the match so far, the round mound of rebound. He's back. Did it concern you that you were the slowest player on the field even though you were the youngest by 20 years? You're only as fast as you feel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what that means, but let's run with it. How did you pull up this morning, G? Do you want to tell, do you want to tell our listeners about some of your saves? Oh, I nearly got chipped from halfway, which was great. Somehow, I what a save! What a save! Genuinely, yep. what a save! And another chip, similar type of thing, and just a couple of stops one on one. Just the, the positioning was working. Now, whether that's because I was moving slow and I just was in the right place at the right time, or anticipation, I hope I'm the goalkeeping version of Clint Gutherson. So I'd, I'd say it's anticipation. If you're listening out there, imagine <laughs> Gianluigi <laughs> Buffon, but at 84, 84. Half the size in terms of height, but double the size in terms of girth, jumping to save a chipped shot, and then you, you are about halfway to what was reality on the weekend. Possibly not a fascist, Gianluigi Buffon. Well, there's a few of them, right? Remember Paolo Di Canio as well? How we used to yes, do the fascist salutes after I'm goals. West Ham yeah. fan, so yes, I absolutely remember Paolo Di Canio. So, yeah. Can we also just give a quick shout-out to some of our friends before we start the pod? Um can we sh- sh- shout out to AB, who, if you're listening, AB, yes. a- um, thank you for bringing along the barbecue after football, but um, it would have been quicker to actually go and kill the meat ourselves and cook it over an open fire. He probably got that from um, the leftovers from when they were closed down Shark Park. <laughs> it's been two That's years. That's what it was. They threw out the barbecue that hasn't worked. So we got left leftover infrastructure from Shark Park. Let's get into the news. Yes, we will. It's, it was actually it was actually, and I mean this genuinely, a slow news week. So um, I don't think we're going to take a our minor usual miracle, minor miracle for the NRL. It could be a minor miracle. It's, I, I feel like it's been a season and a half since we've had a slow news week. So, all right, let's start at the top. Matt Lodge rejected a contract, three year contract extension with the Warriors. It could yep. be as short as a twelve month stay. Um, he's another one after you and Aitken. He's looking like he wants to stay in Australia or he's going to look for a new contract in Australia. I think the Warriors, because they were based in Australia, started recruiting Australian-based players so that they weren't homesick. Now that there's the windows opened up to go home, I think I think this, you know, they've already lost. It looks like they're already going to lose too. Well, that's okay. I'd be happy to let Matt Lodge go. I don't think he'd be... He's worth the, the contract that he command, is commanding. He was great on the weekend. He was great this he was. weekend. Find him a little bit hit and miss, Matt Lodge. He has some great games, and then a lot of the time, I think he's he's okay. But the thing is, okay isn't a you know eight hundred thousand dollar a year prop. You need the elite props to get command that kind of money. I I don't really think he's elite. Well, good segue, G, because um that was a good segue into Payne Haas, yes, who wants yeah, a million dollars. He is elite, elite, like elite of the elite. Like he's doing stuff we haven't seen. You're talking the top two props of the, in the game. It's him. It's him and James Fisher Harris for me. I I agree with that. They are the two, best two props in the game, in my opinion, as well. Um, and it's daylight third actually. But um, yeah. Dave Riccio did an article in the paper during the week about how you can't pay your props a million dollars. That you, you you need to pay them less to keep the salary cap in shape, so you can afford other position players. This is the problem Payne Haas is going to have with a million dollar a year prop. 
get what David Riccio is saying, but David Riccio is assuming that the salary cap is actually adhered to and he actually knows all the figures because no one really knows. Well, you guys seem to – the Canary Bankstown Bulldogs seem to have used their cap wisely this season after their performance we today. Have, we have. It um, hasn't worked out great so far. You know, Phil, Phil Gould is meant to be an absolute genius. Um, Phil, he is. He is. Well, well – how did he not spot he didn't have a halfback? Oh, that's a different story. Look, when you're a million dollars a year, if you're going to pay that much, you have to get the absolute best in the game. His manager approached the Bulldogs and Phil Gould said that for a million bucks a year, you need a player to be winning 60 or 70% of the games for you. That's what he's looking for in a million dollar a year player. Fair enough. And that's why Luke Thompson is on 800k a year and <laughs> he probably loses 60 or 70% of the games for us. But that's I've, okay. got to, I've got to apologise to our listeners because um, this is going to be Bulldogs heavy content this week. No, it's not. Keep on going. G, G and Action are very angry over text. Look, he brings up a good point. Do you pay a prop a million dollars a year? But if I look at where a lot of the teams struggle a lot of the time as well in defence and where things do break down is as the game continues on and you know players get heavy-legged you get a lot of gaps in the middle with players failing to close those gaps that appear and the elite props do that and that goes unnoticed and I think it does make that difference but you can't you only pay that for a few guys like James Fisher-Harris is integral to the Panthers defense in the middle of the field with his agility and ability to tackle low high and cover gaps and I think Payne Haas is exactly the same but if you put him in a decent team I think you'll he'll, he'll dominate the game is my opinion. Yeah, but James Fisher-Harris isn't on a million dollars a year. He's not, no. But, I mean, Payne Haas, I would pay, I would pay close to that, yes. Uh, a million dollars is spine money a year. No props on a million bucks a year. And now, granted, he is he is the best prop in the game. I agree with that. Yeah, and, you know, you look at the Storm and their Storm, their spine is on <laughs> Well, I tend to, yeah, and they keep finding players every year, right? So I, I'm kind of... I'm kind of in Dave Riccio's camp here, so I think he's got to be careful. Um, shall we move on to Mitch Barnett? Yes. Hour? Yes. He got six weeks. What did you think of him getting six weeks for that elbow? And this bollocks that they introduced about catch and release and all this defence that yes. they leaked to the Daily Telegraph was absolute bollocks. Oh, yeah, it was actually hilarious. But it's like, look, he, he lifted his elbow, nailed the guy in the jaw. Poor Chris Smith, who was kind of making his, de- he was de- making his debut for the Panthers, looking to make an impression, goes down and had to be taken out of the game. I mean, and it was off the ball. So it was totally unnecessary in a cheap shot be- in behind play, so to speak. So six weeks is... But, but is six weeks enough? I think six weeks is pretty pretty bad. And it wasn't, it was a bad shot, but would I say he led with force and tried to really iron him out? No. That would deserve a lot more. But six weeks is, I, I think, reasonable suspension. All right. Well, in the week he got six weeks, he's also gone to the club and he wants an early release to join the Warriors with Nathan Brown. I don't even know what to say to that. It's like, Mitch Barnett, you probably should time your um, request a little bit better. <laughs> I, just, like, I just think if ever you hey. wanted evidence about, about we're not dealing with neurosurgeons here... This is an example, yeah? Like, wait until so, you're not suspended So, Mitch, you just got six weeks. The next morning, Mitch, we really want you to train hard while you're away for six weeks. Yeah, I, I hear you, but I want to go to the Warriors. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for supporting me, Adam O'Brien. But just on Mitch Barnett, he's been really important to the Knights. It's interesting that he wants out. I mean, he's played a lot of game time. They've kind of, you know... He's mates with Nathan Brown, remember? Nathan Brown brought oh, him into yeah, grade. That's right. That's right. Yes, because Nathan Brown brought through all the youngsters through... Um, that's right. So so it would be helpful if you actually started following the footy. Um, okay. Now, the Redcliffe Dolphins, a.k.a. the Redcliffe Storm. Yeah, correct. the Redcliffe Storm Dolphins, yes. 
The Stormy Dolphins, that's what we can call them from now on. It looks right? like it looks like they they are going very very hard. They was they had a lunch or a dinner of some sort with Kalen Ponga and his dad, who's his advisor. Now they can either get Kalen Ponga. The rumors are, if you to believe the press, they can either get Kalen Ponga for one point three million a year, or Cam yes. Munster and Reese Walsh for a little bit more than that. Um, but they can't get all three. Which would you rather go for, Ooh, Kalen Ponga? That's it. Or Cam Munster and Reese Walsh. I've got a view on this. I've got a, I've got a personal view. I would go at Munster and Reese Walsh. So would I. I love Ponga, and I think Ponga is he, he's up there with the potentially best player in the game league. But the thing is, gee, he's injured a lot though. He's injured a lot, and I think the tactics have to revolve around him to get the best out of him. Whereas I think with Munster and Walsh. You cover your 5'8 position and Walsh still has that potential to grow in, in almost like a, you know, a, a rip-off version of, of Ponga. Not as good, but he's, he's close enough to the point where he is still effective at fullback. I absolutely would go with Munster and um, Walsh. I, I agree with that, actually. I, I, would, I would go with that as well. But you can't go wrong, right? If he ends up with no, no. Munster and Walsh, he's got enough there with the forwards he's recruited to be quite competitive in year one, I think, provided they're injury-free. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's move on to some other stories. Um, there's a rumour, Paul Kent wrote of a rumour, that Luke there'll be a Luke Brooks-Kyle Flanagan swap as part of Shane taking over as the new coach of the Bulldogs. That has subsequently been rubbished in the press because Luke Brooks has got one year to run after this year and he's got a contract that steps up. So he's actually on $1.1 million next year, which will be hard for any club except the Bulldogs to swallow under the salary cap. Correct. So we'll be able to fit him in by giving him a free parking spot at um, Canterbury League Club. <laughs> and all you can eat at the D- Dynasty Restaurant. At- yeah, all you can eat at Dynasty Restaurant. The other thing is, right, when you've got, when you've got um, are the rumours that Shane Flanagan's actually going to take over from Trent Barrett? That, no, 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 no. So, so yeah, stay with me here. From Madge McGuire. Um, Kyle Flanagan currently plays for the Bulldogs. Correct, that's right. Luke, Luke Brooks plays for the Tigers. Yeah, So if they swap, Kyle will go to the Tigers, Luke Brooks will go to the Bulldogs, and Shane will take over from Madge as the coach of the Tigers. Oh, from Madge. Okay. All right. Well, I suppose if that's the case, I think Flanagan's obviously on the outer with Barrett, which is weird because Barrett recruited him and then really hooked him immediately pretty much. It's not weird. It's not weird. I I don't think the new rules suit him. Having said that, the game is this year has gone back to the wrestle and there's a lot more structure it has. there. So. It's gone back to a little bit more structure, right? So, so it might be worthwhile giving him a go. Yeah. Correct. Like, you may as well stick him in there. He's got a kicking game and a passing game, right? And he's got the same defensive issues as the other halfback. So, whatever. But um, he's just on the outer. So, I'll, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I doubt it will, but who knows? He's obviously not, you know, every five players have to get injured before he gets a run at half. So. Why would you do that deal if you're the Tigers? I don't understand why they do that deal. I don't, but I just think if they're changing coaches, it goes with this, you know, you've got Flanagan and Flanagan. But for Madge, I just think he's clutching at straws. He's trying and look, Brooks has been there forever and it's the same result every year. So why not in a way? Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I don't think that helps either team. I agree with you. I just think it's yeah. almost like, well, nothing's working, so why not give it a try type of thing? You know? Yeah, it's 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 that. It's exactly. But it's I mean, that type if, of, the, yeah. if that's what you're relying on for decision-making, you've got bigger problems at the club than you think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's move on to the next piece of news, which was Manly CEO Stephen Humphreys, the son of Kevin, who was the chairman yeah. and CEO of the New South Wales Rugby League in the 80s, yes. early 80s. Um, He stepped down. 
after some of the allegedly some of the sponsors complained um, allegedly about him having discussions about his own personal circumstances with sponsors. Very interesting. A little bit of a co- another one to the conflicts of interest. At least he stepped down though. So good on Stephen Humphreys. Well, I mean, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? But, you don't. Um, they've, they've churned through a lot of CEOs, Manly. They do. They, they actually seem to have a lot of turnover in their executive department to the point where you actually don't know who the CEO is because it changes so often. Uh, any, any chance of you throwing your hat in the ring? I, I would go for um, rebuilding Brookie. Well, the government looks like it's <laughs> going to pay for that. i credit for it, yeah. yeah. All right. Now let's move on to some coaching news this week. Um, Michael Chicker has confirmed he will coach the Argentinian rugby side in the lead up to the World Cup in the rugby. And he will also coach the Lebanese team at the Rugby League World Cup. And he confirmed this via text message to Adam Duahi, who is, who is his nephew. He probably met him at a family barbecue. So, and then, you know, texted him and said, hey, Adam, blah, blah, blah. But oh, look, I think it's great. Good on Michael Cheek. I think it's great that he can step in and coach rugby with his background, obviously. And then also um, step back out and coach the Lebanese team in the Rugby League World Cup. Why not? I think it's I think it's awesome to see that, actually. I agree. I agree. I think that's great. And in other coaching news, the Queensland Origin coaching staff was confirmed this week. Yep. So they've got the big three of Thurston, Smith and Slater. And they made it a big four with Josh Hannay. What did you think? (laughs) (laughs) What was the criteria that they were going through where they went with Thurston, Smith and Slater? And then the fourth option was Josh Hannay. You know those questions you used to get many years ago at school where it's like, pick the one that doesn't belong. (laughs) One of these is not a triangle. Yeah, one of these is not a triangle. Can you please circle the one that isn't it? Now, is it is it a concern that none of them have actually coached anything? I think at origin level, no. I really don't. I mean, on a positive, they they have got the greatest referee in the history of the game in Cam Smith. Yes, they do. But look, they've got great players there that were amazing tacticians on the field as well. Like Cam you mean Smith Josh Hannay? And Billy Slater. Yeah, and Josh Hannay. So what exactly Josh is Thurston. what is the skill set that Josh Hannay brings that Smith, Slater, and Thurston don't? I don't know. It was such an odd fourth fourth leg to this one. I'm like, what is he bringing to the table? Maybe like, Josh. Maybe that because he worked up at the Cowboys with Thurston. You know, Thurston's got a, an affinity for him and stuff like that. So yeah, but Billy Slater's the head coach. Yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it. So, but good on him. I think that's a good triumvirate to work with. They really know how to think the game, and it'll be interesting to see what sort of tactics yeah, those, they bring those into three, State of Origin. Those three are superstars, yeah. absolute superstars. It'll be, like, it'll be interesting it to see the way me. they play. I'm a little bit in your camp. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. Whether nah, In Origin, no. you don't – it's not about uh, intricate structures and, and, and no. that type of thing at Origin level. So it's, it'll be interesting. Now, the Rugby League World Cup TV rights are back up for tender after the sports flicks deal was, was terminated. So Channel 7 covered the last Rugby League World Cup. The rumours are Fox Sports and Channel 9 are obviously in for it as well. Any preference, G? Channel 7 did a good job last time, I thought. It's good to see a different channel do it because it brings a different perspective and the way they do it is different. So I like that. I mean, Channel 9 and Fox, you obviously get what they you know what they produce every week. So you kind of know what you'd expect. The games are going to be in the middle of the night. So I don't think they're going to get great. Yeah. Great ratings. No. I would hope Channel 7 does it again and they pick a good team to cover it. And just say just to get something different and get a different view on it. You know, that's why I kind of hope Channel 7 gets it, really. Have they approached you to be a co-commentator? Yeah. 
Yeah, they have. They'll get me to watch do the Romania versus like. What do you uh, What do you think? What do you think of this Great Britain team? G G's out. Ellery Handley is a good player. Uh, yes, that's right. I'll be watching Ellery Handley play and Gary Schofield. Correct. So, in in some news over the Tasman, the Warriors have threatened not to release players for a mid season test against Tonga. Now, this would initially strike you as quite odd, but the reason is. Do you know the reason for this? No, I don't. I was actually interested as to why. Like, why would that be an issue? Because the Warriors are meant to be going back and playing their first home game back in New Zealand on July 3rd, and the New Zealand Rugby League is looking to gazump them by playing a test match against Tonga a couple of weeks earlier. And the Warriors, after being here for two years, is so cranky with the New Zealand Rugby League, it is now threatened not to release players. Wouldn't they have spoken about this? It's just petty and it's... it. Just goes to show Australia doesn't have a monopoly on stupidity in the rugby league. No, I mean, I would have thought New Zealand, the Warriors represent New Zealand. You would have thought that the New Zealand Rugby League would talk to the Warriors about plans and it doesn't mean they have to do what the Warriors say, but you'd think they'd at least know about it. Far out. I think the issue is, my honest opinion, is both New Zealand Rugby League and the Warriors are cash-trapped and because they haven't had international sport in two years, I think... The Warriors want to sell out the games that they've got in New Zealand. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and if New Zealand is playing two, New Zealand rugby league teams playing two weeks before, they're a little bit worried it's going to steal its crowd. Now, there is also rumours on social media that, um, do you remember when the Bulldogs used to play the Warriors a few years ago and they'd play all their home games in different parts of New Zealand? Correct, yeah, they played at Wellington a few times, I think. Yeah, Dunedin, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Yeah, so, so, so what they're, what there is a groundswell in social media for, that to happen next year with the New Zealand Warriors, given given everything they've sacrificed to play in the comp this year, that all the Australian teams take their home games against the Warriors to New Zealand, just not at Mount Smart, but another stadium or another city within New Zealand. What do you think of that idea? I think if they can actually follow that up with good promotion and try to really get the community input and get them to turn up and turn out for the games, I think it's a great idea. It can't just be done and just expect that to help grow the game in New Zealand, blah, blah, blah. They should actually, they have to do some groundwork there too. They do have to do some groundwork, but I do think I do think it'll be a good, they've got to do something right. They haven't had top level rugby league there for two years now. Yeah, I think it's a great idea and I think it'll be good if they can match that up with other activities around the games as well, and I think that that'd be a good um, a, a good way to to go through New Zealand or go throughout New Zealand and showcase rugby league. That's a great idea. All right, thank you, G. Now um, I'm down to the last few stories. I might go to the Tristan Sailor story. Um, I hate talking about these stories, but yes. he was found not guilty during the week. He obviously, you know, was playing first grade, and then whatever what happened happened, and had to go through the courts. And I guess if he's not guilty now, the interesting thing is, would anybody try to even pick him up? I don't know. Good question. I mean, he's an, he's an outside back, right? And a few teams could do with some outside backs. He's an interesting one because he's got talent that's still undeveloped and he's got, you know, some good characteristics. So you wonder if someone's going to take a flyer on him despite what's Apparently happening. Apparently he's studying to become a lawyer as well. Oh, good on him. Well, I hope, yeah. you know, that goes, goes well for him. I wouldn't say I kept up with the case, so I don't really know too much about it. But I think it's a good step for him personally doing that too so um but yeah it'll be interesting to see how the league community reacts or if they don't touch him because he's considered you know toxic i suppose well time will tell whether you think he might become like colin kaepernick he could yeah he could be just not i don't think he was campaigning for social if we let if we let matt lodge and all these other atrocity players with atrocities back into the game you know where where does what moral high ground does rugby league have when it comes to these matters i don't don't, it doesn't The NFL is not too dissimilar. They, you know, it depends on your talent as a player 
and then they sort of bring people they bring people back in and then five weeks later people have short-term memories they forget about it and they just move on so it's it's interesting how some of that all works Correct. All right. Well, let's move on to another story. So the New South Wales Rugby League has called an extraordinary general meeting for the 28th of April for club directors. So they need a club director after Mezzatesta didn't lodge his documents and wasn't able to to be um, nominated. This came out of the blue. So it'll be interesting to see if any clubs break ranks and put forward a club director, and what will happen if there is no club director put forward? Oh, we'll have to wait and see. It'll be after what we talked about last week where they're trying to break away from them. I feel like there's a TV show called New South Wales Rugby League Underbelly coming up. Oh, <laughs> it's probably... Do you know what? There's so much streaming shit online now that it's probably in the Channel 9 Go app somewhere. Starring Dino Mezzatesta yeah. as Dino Mezzatesta. Todd Greenberg as Todd Greenberg. <laughs> Peter Valandis as the emperor. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter Valandis as Caligula. He probably would pop up on that too. He'd probably find out he's an actor as well. I've got a PVL story coming yep, up Yep, okay, too. cool. We've got to go. Fantastic. <laughs> so before I get there though, Craig Bellamy has been given an unspecified extension because his deadline has come and gone about whether he was going to option his contract to let the Storm know whether he was going to coach next year. Interestingly, Billy Slater has firmed during the week as the, the lead candidate to replace him. Of course, Mark Brentnell was the favourite up until uh, Billy managed to get, get his head in front this week. What do you think about Billy coaching Origin and the Storm? I think it's great. I'm just interested to see where all this Billy Slater as a coach has come from all of a sudden. When he retired, you never really heard about that. He just sort of stayed in the game through his commentary and stuff like that. But you could see that he's ultra insightful on Channel 9 when he was actually allowed to kind of speak about and give some insight. I never really got the impression that he was interested in coaching, but that's this seems to have you know built up a bit of a snowball. Look, once Billy Slater's interested... He's worked with Bellamy. They've got the. He's, he's a club legend. They usually get the gigs over some of these other guys. Even though Mark Brentnell's probably been a gigantic component of the Storm's success and the son of a former Bulldog legend, Greg Brentnell. Mark Brentnell started out as the ball boy there twenty years ago. Like he's yeah, because Greg Brentnell was part of the initial Storm setup. Yeah, that's right. So that's right. Like thirty years ago or something. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. I think my personal view is this is going to run all season now, and they've deliberately not given a new date because. Obviously, he's struggling with the decision, right? But it could backfire. Now, the reason I think Mark Brentnell and Billy Slater are the favourites is Mark Brentnell's already in the Storm system and Billy Slater can't possibly coach another team, right, given his legend status at the Storm. So by having having those two guys as the options, then it actually takes the heat off Craig Bellamy because he can decide whenever he wants. It's very clever. It is very clever from the Storm because they've obviously leaked Billy as the name. Yes, and it gives them continuity as well in terms of structures, characteristics, culture. They're all part of the system, you know, so you'd think they'd keep the key components of it, but bring a little bit of their own perspective to it. So it's good for them. Good on them. Thanks, G. Hard-hitting analysis. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, ho- I'm hoping you're saving your hard-hitting analysis for the Canterbury game. No, I'm not. Go continue. There is no analysis. The, oh, I've got a few points to make. So let's, um, let's, let's finish off the news segment with um, an article that appeared in today's paper. Danny Weidler wrote an article, which anyone who watches the footy has actually seen this. With the yes. penalties going back to what it was, um, the game has slowed down again. And the wrestle is back in the game. Yes, the absolutely. Buck, but you the scorelines are closer. The games aren't better quality, mind you. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because there were some close games this week. 
But I actually thought, generally speaking, the quality of the games were actually quite poor. Yeah, we'll, t- this we'll week. discuss this, and I have a few comments. I think Greg Alexander was also also agreed with you if you listen to his commentary sometimes. Yeah, like like the the, the, <laughs> the football. Whilst the scores might have been close this weekend, actually the the quality of the football came crashing down to earth. Yeah, and so and so obviously Danny Widler's given PVL a call, and the Emperor has said, "Leave it with me, Danny. I'm going to raise it at the." Australian Rugby League Commission, which can only mean one thing, G, more rule changes coming up at Magic Round. Is that what he actually said? I, it was in the, it was in the, um, it was reported through uh, radio in Sydney this, oh, today. He's the best. He's the best. So Danny Widler's pointed out what everyone could see anyway, and now all of a sudden Peter's like, hey, we need to fix this out and make changes. Fucking hell. Mate, you meant to do this in the off season, brother. What are you doing? This is this is why you test the this is why you test the rules out in trials before you Oh, far out. Seriously. What a what a sport. What a sport. That's like the NBA saying, hey, people are shooting too many threes. You know what? Let's just get rid of the three. We're gonna get rid of the three point line. Correct, correct. So PVL's solution to this is gonna be you watch Magic Round, we're playing twelve aside. <laughs> probably who knows, probably. Oh, oh brilliant. Out. You can see it because there's a reluctance from the refs to actually call the six again. Often you can see it; they don't really do it. They let oh, there's hardly any in the game anymore. There's hardly any because they don't want to get teams don't want to give it give it up when you know the the, the other teams attacking them on their line, right? They don't want to give them another absolutely. tackle to score. So it's just gone back to the old ways. Then and some of the play of the ball is really slow. And this held release thing that they've got going oh, that's yeah, crept this, in yeah. is ridiculous. Surrender dominant. The refs are controlling but held, the tempo. It's held release. Now there's two calls. There's a held, which means um, held means he's tackled, and release is when you actually let go of the wrestle. So the the, the refs are complicit in it now. Of course, the refs they are. are complicit this in the wrestle is, because they, they, they go release. They always were. Held and release are two different things. They were never two different things growing up. This is surrender and dominant. It's all over, just with different terminology. They've they've rebranded, so people don't realise it's the no, same. No, surrender, thing. surrender, and dominant are still in the still in the game. They're different things. So when you when you when you do a when you do a surrender tackle, you can basically lie on top of the player, get a cup of coffee, get a bagel, and then get up at your own time, right? Get your lay by. The whole thing. And then they call dominant, and if the guy lands the wrong way, he gets up and does a quick play of the ball where technically you're meant to still be able to have another breakfast on top of him. So it's Correct. look, it allows the ref too much leeway to slowly inch play. You, they can manage the game and manage the results that way very easily. I don't like it. I know, but um, that's not a good enough reason to change PVL just because G doesn't like it. All <laughs> yes, right, it is. According to him, that's a good enough reason. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to the football? Yes, we should. Round four kicked off with what might be the worst game of football I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> 29 errors and countless yeah. bombed tries and poor execution from both sides and 16 penalties. It was a horrific game of football. Yes, it was. It, and it was, it was, it was two all at half time. We haven't yes. seen the likes of this since the Bulldogs won the second half a couple of weeks ago, 2-1. It was a header, a header to Luke Brooks and a, a left-footed goal to David Nolfa Luma. And <laughs> the Toby first, scored with a free kick. The Titans got the first points after a crusher penalty, after they couldn't capitalise on Jacob Little going for a head injury assessment and Tyrone yep. Peachy sin binning. And after half-time, the Tigers took the lead through another penalty to make it 4-2. You, you've skipped over like 65 minutes of the game. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done that in a few games because 
it was just bomb try after bomb try. Um, at, yeah, and, and it, just, that, it, was, it was just a horrific game of football. And it stayed 4-2 until four minutes to go. But this is the bit I do want to talk about. The yes. Titans gave away a penalty and controversially the Tigers chose to kick for goal. Now, why it was controversial is um, this is where you need some smarts, right? The, the ref had called time off. So you were, by kicking the goal, you weren't actually taking any time off the clock. So weren't they better off taking a tap or kicking for touch and trying to get a repeat set there? I think so. I, I wouldn't say we overly... Footy's, you know, doesn't have a massive technical strategy around clock management necessarily, I would say, like the NFL does, for example. But I can't really argue with their decision because they kicked the goal. There was four points ahead. They slowed the game down. But, and I mean, mate, they lost. But they, but they didn't slow the game the down. bizarre bloody... Yeah, I know. Well, let's get to that then, right? So I, I, I think it was a bad decision. Um, they did kick the goal. It did, they did go up 6-2. Then they, then they paid, obviously. Sexton bombed in the last minute of the game. Um, it hit the post. Jock Madden collected it and needed to simply ground it, but got tackled, and the tackler he got, didn't... He got hit hard. Yeah, but he was he was four inches from the ground. I know, but he got hit hard. And the, so. and the tackler hit his arms, didn't touch the ball. He, Jock Madden dropped the ball, and AJ Brimson scored. Sexton converted, and the Titans won 8-6. I felt sorry for Jock Madden, because I think, other than that, he was one of the Tigers' best players, and he did all the kicking. So I've got a few questions off the back of this game for you. We're going to do this game a little bit differently given I want to forget it as soon as possible. If you have Luke Brooks in the team and he's not doing the kicking and he's the halfback, that means you've only got him in the team for his running. Would you pay $1.1 million for Luke Brooks running the ball? No, because there's plenty of running halves that can do the job that even loitering around in reserve grade in many clubs that for some reason... Gee, is Luke Brooks a first grader? I always say yes because when you see, I think the, I think the Luke Brooks era is over. He flatters to deceive. He looks good, but he's not effective. This is what I was going to say. He's got everything in terms of he can kick. He's fast. He's he looks. You know, he has a go at times. He can, can step, but for some reason, it never seems to all work together. And I, I remember we spoke a few weeks ago, and I said, you know, they still talk about Luke Brooks like he's you know just coming to first grade. He's only played a couple of seasons. He's almost played 200 first grade games. Like at the moment, whether it's the environment, the tactics, whatever it is, it's not working for him at the Tigers. I don't know if he should be dropped necessarily, but you're spending a lot of money on your salary cap for somebody who, you know, you've got to argue sometimes might be borderline first grade in your team or in your tactics or whatever it is. But, you know, they, they still talk about him like waiting for him to reach his potential. So I, I think flatters to deceive is probably a good description at the moment for him. Thank you. Jackson Hastings. Hastings and Jock Madden might be the starting halves for that team. I think they look better when both those te- both those players are there and not Luke Brooks. Well, they do. And then Adam Dwayne comes back and then you've got a question, does Luke Brooks have a spot? Not on, not on what I've seen so far this season. But so, okay, well, can I just move off the Tigers for a second? Because I do feel sorry yes. for the Tigers. That's a game they should have won. They can't take a trick at the moment. But, but I actually think this game reflects incredibly poorly on the Titans. It does. And it also, for me, like, I, I wanted to also agree with your point. I really felt sorry for the Tigers. It's like they did try hard to score. Somehow the Tigers scrambling, def- the Titans scrambling defense always stopped them a couple of centimeters short or they had the bounce of the ball literally bounce an inch or two the wrong way. Like even at the end of the game where that ball bounces not off the post or, you know, bounces a little bit different off Jock Madden's hands and the game's over and they, they ended up losing as a result. I thought they tried and we know they struggle like they did in the Warriors game. I think they were the better team, but the Titans were horrible. Like they should have really, like they had a possession, they had multiple times to score, and then 
they, they should have won that game very easily. And just diabolical, constant errors. It was a terrible game. And I, they're all over the place, um, the Titans. They are all over the place. So I don't think we need... Gee, I don't think you need to run through this game. I've got to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah, do yeah. have to um, give one thing that I picked up from the commentary, um, which was towards the, the end of the game. And Dan Ganane, you know, he raises his voice and try to make it sound exciting. He's like, poor bastard. It's been it's close hard, hard all along, game. you know, in a loud voice. And then Randy <laughs> Alexander literally deadpanned, yes, it has. And made no other comment. I think that sums up this game. I think that's right. But I want to ask one question before we move off this game. Yes. This game showed for me there's actually not enough players in the comp. Interesting. Interesting. What point. is Redcliffe going to do? So, so everyone from the only team that has good players, the Storm. But it's the, the Redcliffe Storm. They're going to th- spread the talent even thinner. Th- that wasn't a first grade game. Not really. There are a couple of players in that team where I thought they're kind of reserve graders, but they're, whether they're favourites of the coaches or they train hard during the week, but you'd have to think there's better players than, say, like, I like Greg Marju, but it's, there's got to be better wingers than him around. I don't know. And there's a lot of forwards that are, you know, um, the Tigers. The Tigers are struggling to really just keep up. Their efforts kind of there, but they're struggling talent-wise. They're missing some, a bit of class, right? So anyway, good luck, Tigers. Um, Tigers and Titans. The Titans have got their return game against the Eels, so that could be that could be anything this week. And the Tigers have got Sharks at Shark Park, which will be a tough one. So which is which is which is a good segue into the the first game yeah. on Friday night. I was really looking forward to this game. The Sharks versus the Knights. The Sharks got up 18-0. I thought the conditions were really tough, given the rain and everything else, and the wind. The rain, and the wind, wind. was horrendous, yep. And I was expecting a lot from this game, but I didn't think it was a great game. I don't think it was a great game either. I thought the Knights were incredibly gallant and really they hung, tough Yeah, that's to right. They hung, it, they hung in the game for a long time, but Tyson Frizzell's hamstring injury and Dom Young's sin binning really just basically killed their chances, right? Aiden Tolman did score a try in his 300th game. Can you believe um, whilst... that? He barely ever scores and then scores a try in his 300th game. Yeah, Aiden I know, Tolman, I know. He's like the Michael Myers serial killer of the NRL. All clubs try to get rid of him and he pops up, keeps popping up somewhere. He's de- he deserved it. but um, You can't kill him, Aiden Tolman. You can't kill him. He's like the Terminator. He is. Talakai Katoa and Will Kennedy got the others for, for the Sharks. Um, I thought I thought Talakai has started the season off on fire. He was on fire. Was it just me? He had seventeen tackle busts. He was unbelievable. Two hundred and twenty-eight meters, and the left edge with Mulatalo carved up the Knights. So their left edge, the Sharks' left edge, really, really hammered the Knights' oh, yeah, right edge. Absolutely. Uh, and although the Knights were gritty, both Mulatalo and Talakai ran for over two hundred meters each through one edge of the field. Oh, like they were dominant, right? My notes on that were Talakai and especially terrorized the Knights defense and I think that's what it was he was I had no idea he'd be I knew he'd be a filling at center but he absolutely dominated that game he was incredible he was incredible he was incredible I mean but but he's been playing like that for a few weeks I think what it showed you did you did you to keep a lookout on the physical the the, the Sharks physicality under Fitzgibbon has gone up gone up to another level yes I agree with that Definitely, they're in the fight. They're in Not the fight the whole they're, time. They're willing to hit hard. They're all willing to do it now. And Nico Hines and Matt Moylan have been have been bloody great. But can I ask you a question? Yeah. Nico Hines' goal kicking must be a concern. I don't think he's the type that's going to lose confidence, but so far he's been way off. But I think he's kicked a couple of times in very tricky conditions against Para and against the Knights. I feel like he was trying to figure out the wind, but he wasn't quite. Do you know why goal kicking's been bat down this year? 
No, actually, it has been down across the board. It has been because of the rain, so they're not getting they're not getting access to the training grounds to practice the kicking. Okay, well, that would explain a fair bit. So yeah, he just he's still striking them pretty sweetly. You could just see it's almost like he's just where he's trying to shape the ball in between the posts and stuff. It's not quite. He hasn't quite got that right yet, and it's probably because of what you said. But he'll he'll get it together, I think, as the season goes on. I hope so. I hope you're right. But but the Sharks are genuine genuine challenges. I think after this game it was it wasn't a so we had the Titans Tigers, and then the first game was Sharks Knights. At this point, I'm going. This has been a pretty dour start to the to the round, right? The Sharks and Knights game was was tough and dour, but some of them there was some magical stuff. That try by Talakai. The dive and the oh yeah <laughs> oh unbelievable athleticism incredible put down and the Mulatalo try with Talakai busting through Gagai and the, the Ronaldo being uh, actually soccer Ronaldo and the banana kick inside to oh yeah coming yeah coming through just when they scored it was some good football the Sharks and so what it brought us to was the grand final replay on Channel Nine on Friday night at eight pm Panthers versus Souths Panthers Panthers got up twenty six to twelve. But the scoreline flattered Souths because this was a five tries to two performance and some only some uncharacteristic poor goal kicking from Nathan Cleary kept Souths in the game in the first half. Nathan Cleary, James Fisher-Harris and Liam Martin were all back for the Panthers. The Panthers' back line and both edges really hurt Souths. Let, let me give you some stats. Taylor May got two tries and ran for 204 metres. The other winger, Charlie Staines, ran for 162 metres. Yeah. Stephen Crichton ran for 190 metres. And Isaac Targo, the left centre, ran for 145 metres. So between the those four, they are up at around almost 800 metres. Yeah, absolutely. But the but the best performing three-quarter on the night was actually Dylan Edwards, who made a number of try-saving tackles and had 26 carries for almost 290 metres. From my perspective, what I saw in this game, and this was finally we got a good game, right? This was a high-quality, yeah. higher-quality game. Souths made too many errors. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they, they, they only completed 25 out of 39 sets. Basically, when Souths complete at 80%, they win most of their games. If they don't complete at 80%, they lose most of their games. It's as simple as that. And they are struggling with errors. They are. I think they're still struggling to be in sync attack-wise because you could see it at times it clicked into gear at particular points in time against Penrith. But I think the Penrith defence is so fast and in your face that it, it forces errors, I think, too. I, I, I got that point later on. I think man, if I had to give a man of the match, I would have given it to the Panthers' defence. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so their defence is unbelievable. It was the Panthers' 20th win in a row at home. They're unbeaten at home since round 19 in 2019. We're now Far out. That's in some season twenty twenty two. It's yeah. some record, right? Twenty wins in a row at home. Especially in a sport like rugby league, T where it's physical, you know, you're gonna have your off days. And the and home ground advantage team. isn't as big as in as in other sports, right? Because the crowds aren't as big. It's actually an incredible record, really. Well, I mean, I'm sure they're gonna say that Phil Gould planted some sort of special grass on the field there or something <laughs> like that. So the, the the Panthers started this buffalo, game on soft, fire with so, so, soft leaf buffalo. Cooch, it's the Gould cooch, cooch. Is it? Is it? Yeah. The Panthers started the game on fire with tries on both edges um, within eleven minutes. Both Targo and Crichton got the goals. The first after Campbell Graham actually fell over in the lead up. Um, yeah, I mean he actually got tripped, and that's what created the hole for the first try. But he but he made amends soon after attacking the space between Targo and May to score after 15 minutes. And this is what I mean about goal kicking. After 15 minutes, the score was only 8-6 to the Panthers. Kaloa Matangi then dropped the ball in the first set from the kickoff, and Taylor May scored three minutes later to make it 12-6, and that's the way it stayed at halftime. 
The game was effectively over 10 minutes after halftime when Taylor May was awarded an eight-point try when Lachlan Ilias kicked him as he scored. Um, Nathan Cleary potted both goals to make it 20-6. to six. Now, can I just say, other than this, I actually thought Lachlan Ilias was a bit better during this game, um, other than the kicking kicking Taylor May in the head. Cody Walker then got it back to 20-12. to 12. They were still in this game, right? Although, watching the game, you're going, actually, the Panthers are killing them. And That's exactly my thought. Yeah, yeah. Panthers exactly killed them, but but because they couldn't kick the goals, the scoreline looked closer than what it actually was. Um, and Liam Martin's try in the seventieth minute iced it. I think Cam Murray's actually started again. This it was he was great again this game. He's got to be a lock, no pun intended, for Origin. Just just a fantastic performance. Now, but in terms of quality, I thought the game was a bit better than the Sharks Knights game and the Titans Tigers game. Oh, absolutely! It was a far higher quality game. This I think. What you'll notice, and we spoke about it last week, is that when you watch the better teams play, the speed of the game is different. Noticeably faster. My notes on this game are pretty much similar to yours. I think there's I only thought... three teams in this race at the moment. Can I tell you that as well? Melbourne, Melbourne, yeah, Mel- it's Para. Melbourne, Penrith, Para, and... Para, yeah. They're, they're three teams in the race at the moment. I think South, you know, it was a challenge to them. And I think they gave it a red-hot go, which I think is a good sign for South. I thought, like, Ilias had some really good signs in this game. You can see him started to grow a bit more comfortable. He had a try disallowed where he, he ran and backed his ability, and he gave a great ball to Campbell Graham, a couple of good plays during the game. So he started to have a little bit more influence, which is excellent for a young kid. And South had to play some good football to keep up with the Panthers. But for me, the Panthers just came out on fire, and the, they've got a gear that these other teams don't have. When they're on and they come at you at 100 miles an hour you, they're they're almost unbeatable honestly like their athlete we'll talk about it, their athleticism across the park and the speed at which they play is tough to beat they're probably one achilles heel is sometimes you've got to play amazing football to bust through them and then if you've got pace and backing up you can score against them but you have to pierce their line first which is the problem that a lot of teams can't do right so you watch kick out play too he's added the pass to his game but he's becoming very comfortable with it the part, catch and pass, quick passes, and when he's running, the defender's got to account for him, but he's he's passing off to the winger and creating um, overlaps. And Taylor May, what a pickup! Great finisher. Oh, fantastic! Great finisher. Um, the first try he scored. They've in the just corner. slotted in that edge. They've yeah. slotted in like they've oh. been there the whole time. This is why. This is why they were happy to let Brett Naden go, and this is why they were just. Been, the talent factory is unbelievable out there. Yeah, like I'm watching Targo, and you can see why they go, yeah, you know what, Brent? You're probably still going to be on the fringe. If you need to go get a regular first-grade gig, you've got to go elsewhere. Occasionally, they have the odd chink in defense, those two on the left-hand side, because they're rookies, essentially. So you can kind of target them a little bit. But generally speaking, I thought South, in the back end of the first half, kind of dominated possession, but they couldn't score. They were trying everything, offloads, dummies, runarounds. They just and couldn't, couldn't the defense. The defense was just too good. Like I said, South, like you say, gave it a red-hot go, but some of those tries, mate, like the second try they scored was quick hands all the way across the back line. It was too fast for an aggressive South defense, and Crichton goes over. And with a bit of better goal kicking, it probably reflects the true um, difference between the sides. Penrith were too good, but South um, fought hard to stay in the game, I thought. But, 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 I mean, my view on this, I look at this and I go, Penrith are a class above Souths. That's what I mean. South, I thought, did well to hang in and keep up. But I watched that game and it's clear to me that Penrith are a better side. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Dangerous signs for the rest of the comp. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
because I couldn't say that Souths were that bad on the in this game. They were just well. No, I thought I didn't. I, Souths just couldn't complete. Right, too many errors. Yeah. They they just they didn't get to the start line. Unfortunately, it gets a bit tougher for the for the Panthers this weekend. Oh yeah, but it's a big game this week against the Bulldogs. So um, they're yes. going to train really hard because it's a big game. Different level of game. Um, is Penrith and Souths game, but good, oh, good yeah, game just, of footy. Just... Good game of footy. It was it was a decent game of footy. Let's move on to yes. Super Saturday, um, yes. where unfortunately you weren't there to watch this game because you were performing your own heroics on the field. The Warriors versus Broncos. Oh, thank God I wasn't there to watch this game. Yeah. Oh, well, this is what I'm saying to you, right? Like you go through the results of the weekend. They're either the games. Some of the games were close, but. The quality was awful this weekend. This, this game was poor. Gee, the, the the best game of the round, I think, was... Penrith and South. The Penrith and South, and it wasn't that good a game. It really wasn't. So anyway, let's move on to Warriors versus Broncos. This was played in Redcliffe, where you could see everyone getting pissed on the balcony before the game. Yeah, I know. Um, Isn't that like the best seat ever at any ground? Oh, yeah, basically? yeah, yeah. If you, live, if you live in Redcliffe, which is not in Brisbane, you should absolutely, I would get a seat on that balcony with beers coming and drinks <laughs> coming and just watch the game. And food, it's, and you're sitting there watching the game. Yeah, it's, it's like fantastic. a corporate box without having to yeah. pay for it. It's great. It's a great idea, actually. And Sean Johnson was back for the Warriors, of course, in yes. this game. SJ, welcome back. He did. He, he played really well, too. He, he was, he, um, and all the try scoring happened in the first half, with Sean Johnson setting up Jesse Arthurs for his first before the Broncos lost Flegler to the bin. Uh, and I've got a little bit to say about yeah, Flegler seven, coming 75, up. 75 um, on-report <laughs> yeah. incidents. Correct. Correct. Like, and how do, you, um, how do you get put on report for three things in one tackle? Four times. Four like, times. What the hell? And both coaches had a go at each other after this game with, with all the with all the conflicting <laughs> cannonballs. So, I mean, I just think I, it's just such a funny thing. If you had said to me when I was growing up, Nathan Brown and Kevin Walters are going to be first grade coaches having a go at each other about cannonball tackles. When I'm in my 40s, I'd go, I, I, I reckon I could have picked about 40 players that would have been coaches ahead of both of them. I will say, though, Nathan Brown, can you please come back to Belmore and slap Trent Barrett like he did a couple of years ago? That would be <laughs> I don't think I don't think he'll react the same way. Anyway, okay. Sean Johnson set up Jesse Arthurs for his first before the Broncos lost Flegler to the bin and Albert Kelly to an ankle injury. And it looks like Albert Kelly's, Kelly's going to be out for months. Uh, unfortunate. Yes, uh, unfortunate, unfortunate, right? And and SJ and Reese Walsh then capitalised before Jesse Arthur's, and then it eventually led to Jesse Arthur's getting his second. Adam Reynolds then got his first try for the Broncos and converted it to make it 12-6. Great individual try, by the way. Great individual try. This was all while they were Played still down footy. to 12 men. Twelve. Yeah. They were down to 12 men. So they, they actually got away with the 12 men at 6-all, right? Um, but back-to-back errors from the Warriors then gave the Broncos a chance to equalise. But um, just as they were looking like they were going to do something, Montoya actually hit Stags with a bell ringer to force the turnover. And a few minutes later, Adam an Adam Pompey offload sent Montoya over on the left to make it 16-6 at halftime. Now, before I go into the second half, Katoni Stags, as much as I love him, has been starved of possession down the right edge. He actually yeah, has absolutely. not been good since he's got nope. back. Herbie, he's not getting the, ball the love bug, the love bug has completely outshone him. They need to get, they need to find a way to get Katoni Stags onto the board, board on the ball. With Albert Kelly now out, I wonder if now's the time to move Katoni Stags to five eighth. Although, I don't think that's going to given work, given but... Billy Walters is his son, he might bring him in instead. 
I think Billy Walters or Tyson Gamble will probably play in the five eighth position, but but you got but you got to find a way to get get him the ball. You play with depth and get him to get the ball on the run. They're, they're expecting him to be flat and then power his way through every defender. And the defenses load up on that side when he gets the ball and they hammer him. It's it's very difficult. Um, having said that, two marvelous, a, a wonderful finish by Montoya and a great tackle on Stag. So he came up with some big plays, Marcelo, this week. He did indeed. He did indeed. So um, it was great, great. Hit. The second half was more of an arm wrestle yeah. with only two penalty goals to Reese Walsh, but not before um, actually Corey Oates took an intercept. He did, and this time he ran a little bit faster, but then got run down after twenty extra meters. Well, he dropped the ball. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so it was just it was just that type of half, right? So Flegler was reported four times, and his hip drop on Murdoch Masilla might have him in trouble. Like I think he's going to go for a few weeks. It was his first he game will. back in a long time after suspension. What culture have you got at the club? That you come back after suspension, first game, you get cited, you get reported four times, you're actually got to go to the Judiciary 3 because your match review committee said you've got three charges to fight. Yes. I, I get these players are hotheads and all the rest, but surely your team culture is meant to control all this. To a degree, but maybe he's kind of like the enforcer or, you know, maybe they say to him, hey, get out there and, you know, get some big hits and you don't know what the instructions are. Well, he hurt his team. Guys. He hurt his team. Matt Butt. Can I say, Matt Lodge and Fanua Blake were fantastic for the Warriors, 176 metres and 202 metres, respectively. They won it through the middle. Nathan Brown has got them playing an Aussie style of football, and we both picked the Warriors here because it is kind of working. They're good for 18 points a game, the Warriors, at the moment. They are. That's like last And for the Broncos, Payne Haas was unbelievable, 176 metres. I say this every week, 19 hit-ups. 88 post contact meters, six tackle busts, and 45 tackles. Like, unbelievable. But before I hand over to you, G, Jazz Tavanga will also be in trouble because he had a cannonball tackle on Patrick Carrigan, and it's going to rule Patrick Carrigan out for a month. So they lost Albert Kelly and Patrick Carrigan out of this game. And other than actually Payne Haas, Patrick Carrigan's been their other best middle forward. So there's a few negatives coming out of this for the Broncos for mine. There are. I thought they were poor. They didn't execute well. They were bustled out of the game by the Warriors. I think the Warriors were a little bit more aggressive. And I think the, the Broncos struggled to cope. And I think also in attack, they're a little bit out of sync. They're probably adjusting to Adam Reynolds. They're not playing with any depth and giving their players room to move, like Farnworth and, and Staggs and Cobbo. I mean, they've got a pretty potent backline if you think about it, but they don't seem to put them in a position to actually really attack the, the defensive line of the other team. But for me, too many mistakes, too many poor choices, and eventually the the Warriors, I think, just out-hustled them, essentially. They, they were grittier and a little bit more determined in defence. The Broncos weren't terrible in defense but because that's like you said, the Warriors are good for 18 to 20 points a game and they scored that and won the game. They they held out the Broncos um, well enough in defense. They came up with some big plays this game, the Warriors. I thought, yeah, Lodge and Fenua Blake were sensational and Jesse Arthurs ran a couple of good lines and so it was some good poor playing by Sean Johnson. Sean Johnson, they look a far more dangerous side with Sean Johnson in the team. And with Cody Nikarima out. He's on the bench. He's, he's in there to provide a spark. Ideally, you'd have Cody Nikarima and Sean Johnson, but that'd be a little bit too exciting for Nathan Brown. Did he provide that spark, Cody Nikarima? No, he didn't. He did not. No, no he, he didn't. didn't. I'm glad you didn't see something I didn't. There's a lot of hype and expectation around Selwyn Cobbo and Weist. Well, you made an interesting observation when we were watching the game about his knees. He doesn't look ready and they've got to be patient with him. And I think there's a lot of expectation on him. And I just feel like he looks out of balance a little bit. He feels looks very top-heavy and he's got thinner legs. And I said to you, like, he looks like he's a knee injury waiting to happen. I hope that never, ever happens. But 
there's something about him. He moves fast, but it doesn't feel as fluid. Like when he's with his agility. They've got a lot of young guys and there's still a lot of expectation on the Broncos. And I, th- I wonder how that's going to go now. They've had a few losses and they haven't played very well. And they've played some of the poorer teams in the comp. Not looking good, T, for them. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I think they, they're starting to come back to earth a little bit, the Broncos. Um, you know, and, and they've, they've got a real test this week as well with the Roosters. And the Warriors, good win. Um, they're winning some of these games that they, you know, they have to win. But he's, he's got them playing Aussie football. He's got them yeah. playing Aussie football. And Sean Johnson uh, gives them that little bit of extra magic that they need to win some of these close games. It, it's working with Sean Johnson, I think Johnson, it's working. I think. I think it's working. So I thought the Broncos were really disappointing, right? And then I saw the Manly Raiders game. Uh, <laughs> and Manly got this one 25 I tried to watch this closely. This was boring. But the Raiders were just, I mean... This game did not live up to its billing, especially the Raiders' no, performance. The game at was all. poised at halftime with Manly leading 10-6 after taking an early 10-0 lead through tries to Ruben Garrick and Morgan Harper. And yeah. Jack White hit back before halftime with one of his jinking runs. It was a very disjointed first half, though. Both teams dropped the ball. Um, it just, it just, the, the game lacked complete fluidity. And then in the second half, DCE, in a man of the match performance, kicked the Sea Eagles to victory with a 20-40, a 40-20, a late field goal. And he laid on two tries with kicks for Olakatawu and Turbo. Um, Tommy Turbo was back better this game. He was much better was in better. the second half, especially. One try, 289 metres, 84 post-contact metres, eight tackle busts, one line break, one line break assist, and one offload. So Daly Cherry Evans, just an absolute mint performance in the second half. The Raiders, really disappointing. Schneider was poor at halfback. Jordan Rapana had his once-again brain explosion that he usually has. Yep. Um, and, and Manly, it looked like Dylan Walker also sustained quite a, quite a serious leg injury. They stopped the game for a little bit there. I think they look a lot better when Dylan Walker's playing. He gives them a directness and ball playing. I yeah. think you're right. But he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's going to the Warriors next year. And, and can I just say one thing about the Raiders' attack? Like, tactically, the Raiders' attack, we saw a little bit in today's games as well with your team, the Bulldogs, just obsessed with an offload that goes nowhere. Offloads aren't great if you're not looking to play off them. Exactly. Andrew John said it in commentary today. Yes. The offload is great because it gives you a second phase of play, right? But but if if the second if it's a prop popping the ball up, everyone else is standing around watching. It's another prop, and he gets tackled there. It's like the offload isn't quite as worth as Correct. much exactly as if the right. ball gets spread a little bit and you take some meters, right? That's so, right. Yes, and if you watch the good teams, what do they usually do with a, an offload? A lot of their backs all of a sudden come out of nowhere and they play through the line. They they a counter attack essentially. That's exactly right. So and and so. I actually think the Raiders' attack is a little bit offload obsessed. Yeah, so I mean, they should just it's like take an it. offload should... to get an offload. Correct, but it's not going anywhere. They're actually better off taking the tackle and trying to get a quick play of the ball, a la Cam Murray. And you know me, I'm I'm all for exciting razzle dazzle fo- footy, but razzle dazzle footy isn't an offload to someone standing there getting ready for the next play whilst everyone else is getting set Correct. in their positions, and then the next guy, like you say, gets it and then just takes the tackle. Like, there's no point to that whatsoever. You've got to play off those and look for those opportunities to attack the defence, but a lot of teams don't do that. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I thought the Raiders were incredibly disappointing. I still don't know what to make of Manly. I know they won 25-6. I know DC was great in the second half, but I just actually, in the first half, I didn't think they were that good. I'm like you. I don't think it was a 25-6 game. I thought DCE made some huge momentum-changing plays in the second half. I mean, just watch a 20-40. 
I love watching the skill, like the 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 brazenness to try. It's that. only the second or third twenty forty since the rule was introduced. The, the brazenness to try that and to pull it off is fantastic, and then to do the forty twenty again. Turbo, like you say, was a little bit more involved and coming from a little bit of greater depth. It gave him a little bit more ability to go through the line. But you can see all the teams are watching him so heavily that he hasn't got room to move. They're keying in on him um, this year. Um, I thought, like, yeah, losing Dylan Walker, I thought, was really hampered Manly a little bit. But like you, the first half, it was just Manly had ball, but then even the try they scored wasn't that great. And, you know, a bit, a bit of luck um, off the bomb for Harper to score. The Raiders scored near Oluwakatu again, a little bit slow off his line, take, got caught taking a break and stepped by Whiten. But then they sort of just tried to do that. And I didn't think they gave their players room to move on Manly's right-hand side defense, which is where we've noticed their their issues lie. And the second half, to me, was just sort of waiting for Manly. It was Just the Raiders were disappointing. The, Ra- the Raiders yeah, were they disappointing. they struggled to move the ball, the Raiders, and I didn't think they were going to win. It was almost a matter of when Manly was going to kick on and score a trial to, to break the game open. And eventually, that's what happened. But sorry, I know, I know, I'm not going through the games play by play, but it was it's because it's because the football was so poor this weekend. Dower game T. A couple of good plays and big plays by DCE and Oluwakatu, and that's kind of it, really. I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just that the, these teams have got to start playing themselves. So hopefully, as it gets further in the season, the quality of football improves. All right, shall we move on to the Cowboys Roosters? No, this is a quick question. This is an interesting. I don't know if it's an, an interesting observation for me. There seems to be a lot of games where the start or the first half is like you know twenty to twelve or. 18-14, and there's a bit of footy being played. And the second half seemed to all die and turn into a, an arm wrestle with not many points scored. Or What do you think the reason for that is so far? And that happens in a lot of games so far. Are teams just trying to grind out the win? I think so. I, I, you've got to remember, it's not. are they trying to grind out the win? No, they're not trying to grind out the win. But you're not going to get, generally speaking, unless the Titans are playing games like you got last year. <laughs> Yes. Because, because simply because the rules have gone back to what they were. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not. It's not going to be. I wouldn't bear what happened last year as the blueprint for this year. Yeah. Because the whole penalty in your own forty meters has changed the, the and the wrestles back. Like it is. The wrestle is more is back. Re- Absolutely. The, it is more wrestling than I've seen in many many years now. The the, the, the play and this whole held release thing is actually making it worse with the referees. So yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's having an impact on the speed of play. Well, it is. It is the play of the balls, and I monitor the play of the balls in the game. The, the play of the balls are a lot slower. Oh, you can see it. You can see that it's a lot slower. You might not think it's a lot, but a 3.76 versus 3.39 average play of the ball is 10% quicker. It is. It's a big difference. I absolutely can tell that it's slower. You can see it. Okay. If the game gets into a grind. I guess so. Second half, players have already played 40 minutes. It does slow down a tiny bit. It gets a little bit. Players roll off the tackled players a little bit slower. It's, it's hard to put, uh, other than the really good teams, it's really hard to put momentum shifting. Remember last year there was the momentum shifts? Like oh, a team yeah. would get on You're a roll and they'd put now. on 25 points. Yeah, no, not getting that It's now. not happening now, right? Oh, it did happen in the games today, but Bulldogs and Dragons, yeah. So other than that, it doesn't happen. Or if you're playing the Cowboys, which is a good segue for the next game. Yes, it is. Uh, so the last game on Shitty Saturday, which which absolutely lived up to its billing, was Cowboys versus Roosters. Um, the Roosters blew the Cowboys away 28-4. to Interestingly, Trent Robinson contracted COVID during the week, so Jason Riles actually coached the Roosters, and they absolutely blew the Cowboys away. The Roosters dominated up front. And physically, no Cowboys forward ran for more than 100 metres. And the Hammer only had four runs all game. 
Four runs from your fullback all game. Victor Radley, yeah, and Joey Manu were superb. Victor Radley had 158 metres, four tackle busts and two line breaks. He's been fantastic this year, Victor Radley. He has been very good, but I think Cam Murray's ahead of him for origin, so... I would say so, yes. Um, And Joey Manu, two tries, two try assists, three tackle busts, one line break and two line break assists. Um, Joey Manu, I just love watching him play. My favourite centre in the comp. The Roosters got off to a great start with Momorowski crossing after five minutes after Tupu batted back a Sam Walker kick. And then Teddy, who was superb, threw a no-look pass to put Manu over untouched after over his head. You know what? That was a brilliant play. But you know what was funny about that? Teddy was like in wide open space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the Cowboys were doing. It's, you know what the Cowboys reminded me of in this game? You know when you play, and we play football on a weekend and quite yeah. competitive, just some days you wake up and it's just not there, right? They they, they were blown off the park. And, and that's that's what I thought the Cowboys were, a, a bit like that. Um, yeah. So Manu got, got over untouched after Tom after Tom Gilbert was actually binned. The Cowboys had three sin binnings on the night. Yeah, I know. I think it was actually a credit to Todd Payton that he didn't complain about it too much after the game because one of them, Chad Townsend, came right at the end and the second one, they actually held the Roosters out for the whole 10 minutes. So it didn't it didn't have as big an impact on the game and the Tom Gilbert one was absolutely a sin binning. Yeah, I thought the Tom Gilbert one did and he couldn't complain because what it did to me is it gave the Roosters a little bit of room to move and they like were ruthless with it and then the momentum. I agree. Yeah, and the game changed, right? While still down to 12, the Roosters capitalised and Manu sent Radley over to make it 14-0. And then five minutes later, Manu turned provider again with a superb flick pass to send Kevin Naikama over, who replaced Billy Smith and did much better. Poor Billy Smith. He hasn't had a good start to the season. And it was 20-0 at halftime and the game was over, right? Straight after halftime, Luke Keary sent a bomb up that Joey Manu plucked out of the air to make it 24-0. Sam Walker's goal-kicking this season has been absolutely dreadful. I think he only landed two on the whole on the night. Griffin Niame was then binned in the 50th minute, but the Cowboys, as I mentioned earlier, held on. And when they were back at 13, got a try down their own of their own down, through Tawalangi to make it 24-4. Ch- Chad Townsend was binned in the 71st minute after holding Tupu down too long after he made a break, but it didn't matter as Tupu scored anyway to make it 28-4, and that's the way it's ended. I thought the Cowboys, I mean, they tried hard defensively, right? But they just... As a team, they just they were just off the pace in general, in attack, in defence. And I thought they held on for a while at the beginning, and then the game changed. I thought the positives for the Roosters with the Simbini, and then it was the Joey Manu show, really, after that. Oh, he was fantastic. He scored the try. It was a great pass by Teddy, but he scored the try, gave the, a great assist to Victor Radley, ran from dummy half, great ball to Radley. Then the other flick pass to Nagama for the try, and then straight after halftime. Actually, it was a challenging bomb to take. Ripped it down, broke the tackle, and scored a, a strong try. And he basically was responsible for 18, 20 points. Almost single-handedly, somewhat. So he, he sort of, I think, took over the game. The move of Nagama to the wing, like you said, I think it's made a difference. It's given the Roosters a bit more pace on that wing. The Defensively, probably needs to sort stuff out, but it gives him an outlet to... Once he's in space, Nagama will score and finish. Where I think Billy Smith was, you know, the poor guys had the 7,000 injuries, so it's probably impacted him that way. But Radley was um, sensational. But also, uh, I like Val Holmes' short kickoff, very clever. And this is another part with Manu. After he scored the try, Val Holmes, brilliant footwork to, to cut through the defence, and it looked like he was going to score. Manu just ripped him down with an amazing. So Joey Manu's interesting, interesting, interesting with Joey Manu. He's missed a lot of tackles this year. Yeah, well, that was a fa- fabulous cover tackle. No, I get it. Joey Manu's, 
when he's on, he's the best defensive centre in the comp. But he has missed a lot of tackles this year. But I, do, I also think it's because Trent Robinson's been stuffing around with his edges. He is. He's, he's fiddling around with them, different players. Yeah, yeah. He's moved Adam Crichton, Satili's swapped edges. Just he's trying to protect Sam Walker a little. You know, there's a few, few bits and pieces going on there, right? They're trying to find their new combos, but I thought it was a good sign for the Roosters. Some of their tries were very slick, and they came from very deep and attacked fast and direct. And I thought Luke Keary looked more like old Luke Keary in this game. He gave him that speed and directness that they're lacking sometimes, and I thought he was he was great. I wonder if they're going to come home or just stay in Queensland because they got the Broncos this week. When you go, I wonder how that goes. You know, and for the Cowboys, I thought when Tuolangi scored, it was a great finish. So he's got a little bit of potential, like he shows every week. But just a, you know, they were just off, and I thought the Roosters were ruthless with them and torched them. So, but good signs for the Roosters. Good win. And, you know, a couple of their players that have been coming back starting to look like themselves again. So, um, yeah, good Good win. signs for the Roosters. Yeah. Bit, bit rocks and diamonds at the moment though, right? Just kind of depends who, on their, who they're playing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the week. It's back. We haven't had this segment oh, in a shit. long, long time. So what you need to do, to if you're a listener, you need to sit back. Get into your favourite beanbag or couch. Dim the lights in your place. Grab a nice bottle of red or white or a whiskey even with one of those big ice cubes in it and settle back as we dive into Bulldog's Hour with G. So... What do you want me to fucking say? Why don't you go like, first? Seriously? Why don't you go first on this one? Why don't you go first on this one? Storm versus Bulldogs in a tight game and you could really see all the work the Bulldogs have put in in their salary cap and on the training park in this game in the off-season as they were man- they managed to contain the Storm to a very creditable 44 points and their brilliant attack only was able to only score zero points. But um, stunning performance by the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs actually dominated the first 20 minutes. They had 19 tackles in the opposition yes, 20 versus matter. zero to the Storm. Tackles. Yeah, the, they had 72% territory. They had the Storm made three errors. The Storm gave away three penalties. Uh, but the Storm scored twice during this period through Pappenheiser and Josh King to lead 12-0 after 23 minutes. The Storm played very, very poorly in the first half. But Kenny Bromwich still managed to get the Storm's third try after Braden Burns slipped to make it 16-0 at halftime. Gee, the Bulldogs attack, as you and Action have been saying, it's the first, as I mentioned, you know, Action got a bit cranky with me, but but... It's the first time I've watched the Bulldogs attack this closely this year. And you guys are right. It is very pedestrian. My question is, is it the halfback or Trent Barrett? No, I think it's Trent Barrett. I mean, how many halves do you have to go through and how much personnel do you have to go yeah, through? Yeah, but none of them are actual halfbacks, G. Irrelevant. I don't think that that's as important as everyone's <laughs> making out. I mean, to me, right... I look at Jerome Hughes. He's a manufactured halfback, yeah? Yeah, but he didn't. He's, you're looking at him now. It took him three years to get to that point. You know, they, they play to his strengths. You're not seeing Jerome Hughes play and trying to have to control the game. He's there and he can run. And he's got and Cam he's, Munster he's got, there. Whatever, right? We've got Matt Burden. Matt Burden isn't. He's a centre. You know what I mean? He's a centre. The problem is, is the attack is predictable. It's slow in execution and it's. You flat. look disorganised as well. You look really disorganised when you've got the ball. Like, like, that game could have gone for another two hours and you wouldn't have scored, right? Yeah, correct. That game could have gone on for three hours and they wouldn't have scored. It doesn't matter about the possession. Last year, we had amongst the best completion rates. The year before, completion rates. But the attack is rudimentary. It's pedestrian. And even if they pass the ball sideways, they're so flat and not in sync that what happens is the defense easily slides across and has extra de- defenders. We have two of the fastest players on the field, Addo Carr and Matt Dufty. And Josh barely, Jackson. Yes, and Josh Jackson. And they barely get the ball in space or with runners around them to create any danger whatsoever. 
Doesn't Josh Adokar look different at the Bulldogs versus what he looked like at the Storm? Well, he has no room to move whatsoever. He's got no one backing him up if he makes a break. There's no one even looking to play off him. Everyone's watching them play each other. Tavita Pangai Jr. was offloading, doing these offloads with someone standing When around. Trent Barrett was appointed, you told me your power brokers in that club said to you that this is the real deal. Obviously... He's not the real deal at all. What I'm starting to see is he's starting to shuffle his players around, but it's his structure that's wrong. It doesn't matter what players you have where. Avarillo went to center. He drops this center. He moves this person to this wing. He moves that person to center. He moves this player here. It's all over the place. And honestly, it's too easy to read. You can see it. They know exactly. Well, I mean, you guys got blown ball. away in the second half. You got blown away in the second half. Burton is um, getting the ball, and they, the defense knows he's getting it, and he has no runners around. The defense has got to think: Is Matt going to pass, or is he going to run? Whereas at the moment, they know he's going to pass, and they know exactly when he's going to run. It's a tale of two fullbacks. If you swap Pappenheisen to the Bulldogs in that game, and I love Ryan Puppy. Yeah, I think he does nothing in that game. You move Matt Dufty into that Storm team. I don't. I don't rate Matt Dufty. I don't think Matt Dufty's a good fullback. I think Matt Dufty has never been in a system to utilise his strengths. And no, I think Ryan Pappenheisen is is some levels above Matt Dufty. Some levels like Matt Dufty is not is not in but Ryan Pappenheisen's T. It's tactics, right? You play fullbacks, fullbacks are taught or told when and where to inject themselves. They don't just decide when to do it. We play a very structured game and Dufty comes in for the set play and that's it. Pappenheisen is trailing the ball all the time because that's what he's allowed to do and what Bellamy tells him to do. So he's, if there's even a half chance... Matt Dufty was allowed to do that. If Matt Dufty was allowed to do that, it, you wouldn't have the same out- outcome. Gee, you don't have the cattle. You don't have the Storm's no, I know cattle. team shit. Man for man, right? Okay. Yeah. I don't look. I don't think the team's that great. But let's not say they don't have nobody. They have a Tavita Pangai Junior. You do. None of that matters. You don't have a spine. Your recruitment, all this recruitment, and all the money you've spent the money in all the wrong spots. Well, the Broncos have got Adam Reynolds, and they don't look any better than last year. So I think all this halfback stuff's bullshit. No, I disagree. I disagree. The Broncos beat you guys, didn't they? Well, I think Para looks better when they let Mitchell Moses just play footy rather than try to get him to be an organising halfback. He looks 50 times better when he plays his natural game, right? So No, he's still organising the team. Who, who do you think's organising the team? Who do you think it is? Do you think it's the second rowers? Of course it's Mitch Moses. I don't know. I would say it's... It That's like Mitch Moses' confidence. That's got nothing... No, it's not. He's the fullback. He's organising the defensive line. He's not calling the attack. Anyway, I think our attack is horrible. It has been for a long time, and I don't think it matters who's playing. Okay, Brandon Wakeham, not the same player as Avarillo. Does it look the team look any better? He's not any good either. No, he's not. He's not any good either. Gee, gee, I, I, I think I said to you you'd be better this year, but this idea the Bulldogs had that they were going to be this top eight team. No, they were never going to be the top you eight. Just, no. Well, you just, you just the money you've spent the money in in shoring up all these positions, and I get why you do that, right? But you don't. I don't think you've got one of the better fullbacks in the comp. Your first choice half. Mm. He's actually a centre. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe he is. Yeah. yeah, and at the moment, Jeremy Marshall King has actually been playing okay, but you know, you'll be a lot better when Reed Marnie's there, no doubt. I still don't think it's going to make a difference. Well, because you don't have... You need... You need you, have you got any halfbacks coming up through the ranks? Uh, as far as I know, no. But I don't... Like I said, I don't <laughs> think it matters. Have you, have you got any hope to sell for the Bulldogs fans at all? No, because I actually think that if... Watching the games this year... 
if you play a very simple, simply structured attack. So I, I agree with what you're saying about Trent Barrett, but can I say the reasons why I agree with you? Because he's had a whole fucking off season. This is what I mean. Like the defense. The, like it's what's, what he, what's he been working on? What's he been working on? Yeah, what's he been working know. on? I don't know. I think he's gotten his job because of his connections and mates like Dean Pay, and I find it. And I mentioned this before, but I find it incredibly interesting that Dean Pay and Trent Barrett have amongst the worst head coaching records in a long time, and yet they never got any criticism from any of the press at all because they have too many mates. All you're hearing about is the player's fault or this person's fault. I have not heard one article about Trip Barrett might have some issues tactically. You know, there's been like 30 games of evidence now. How much more do you need? Either he fixes things up and things improve or he's got to go. Unfortunately, he's added nothing. But, but, but who are you going to bring in to fix it? Regardless, right, of whether it's clunky or out of sync, you've got pace in that team. You rarely even see it. It's all opportunistic. Hopefully, some Matt Dufty or you know Addo Car busts a tackle and runs away. Like but you need a no... halfback or 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 someone inside, an inside player to get it to them. There's just nothing happening. There's nothing happening. I just I just think you're two or three players away. You're two or three players away. You're gonna read Marnie's gonna come there. They're, they're, and they're out there, right? They're out there. Look at Jake Clifford and Adam Clune. Well, Adam Clune, right? They talk about a halfback. Why wasn't Adam Clune signed? He would have been available. I agree. I agree with that. Like he would have been perfect. He would have actually, if you wanted to bring these youngsters in, Adam Clune could have done all the organising. I agree with that. You know, and he's got his favourites that play there, and he keeps Josh Jackson and Corey Waddell on there for the whole game. And whilst Waddell's played pretty decently. You know, he gets tired and he leaves gaps in defence. Same Jackson, and that's that's normal because they're not meant to be out there for eighty minutes at that intensity. Josh yeah. Jackson is not Josh Jackson from two thousand and fourteen. Now he's like playing like Isaiah Yo and playing eighty minutes a game, and whereas other players he, he has a short leash on and he hooks them right. So I, I don't know. I just think what you saw was a storm with a couple of just quick interchange and interlinking play, and Pappenheisen following up any break. Just torched our side. And yeah, to be Pap, honest, Paps I was, um, was that fantastic. Well. Certainly not in the first half. Not in the first half. They were terrible in the first half. The second half, though, the storm got going, and it was all it was the boulder downhill scenario, right? Oh yeah. Once they got going, that was yeah. it. They they started yeah, to yeah. free up their their attack, so to speak, and then they just. But can I just give you a stat? After sixty three minutes, the Bulldogs had sixty two percent territory, more offloads than the storm, yeah. more yeah. more post contact meters. And were tackled thirty nine times in the opposition twenty versus ten, and they trailed thirty eight nil. Which after sixty three minutes, to it's not to, the players. You, you weren't doing enough with the ball. Correct, the ball. Is, you weren't doing enough with the ball. Slow. The play. If you watch the storm play, when they moved the ball, it moved quick. When they saw an opportunity, Jerome Hughes loops around, and the players play off him really fast. You watch the Bulldogs play; they all stand flat and they pass the ball, and it's slower. You can see it. Gee, can I can I be honest with you? It's not good can enough. I be honest with you? It's just not good I, enough. It's not good enough. I agree with that, but it might be. And you guys have been doing this for a long time now, so can, just can I be honest? You overrate the talent in the club. I would say in the past, but no, wait, I think you're still signed. doing it. So okay, so you okay? Listen, I this is irrespective of my views. Yep. Paul Vaughan. Apparently highly rated. Apparently, okay? Luke Thompson is but okay. I thought Paul Vogue was okay today. 
No, I thought Paul Vaughan was okay today. He was okay. Luke Thompson I mean, hasn't been playing great. Luke Thompson hasn't terrible. been playing great. Highly rated, right? Josh Jackson apparently is still highly rated. Now, where I, the, I think Josh Jackson's are, at the end of his career. I agree with that. I agree, I agree with you. With yeah, I agree with that. I agree right? with that. Matt Burton is one of the best young players in the whole of the competition. I agree with right? that too. I agree with that Matt too. Matt Dufty is one of the fastest players in the whole of the competition. And I agree with that dangerous. too. He might not be as all-rounded as some of these other fullbacks, but he should provide some attacking spark to your team. Somehow, I agree with Ado that. Ado Carr yeah. is one of the best wingers in the last ten years. Brent Naden is quite a talented centre. Yet what we get is shit because whether the team's good or not, he's not putting these players in a position to be. Their I best agree with that. Basically. I agree with that point. That's why I'm saying it is about the coaching. Because if I was him and I've got Matt Dufty coming in, what I what's the play that Matt Dufty loves? That loop around the right hand side, throw yeah. the cutout pass to the winger, get him over, right? Yeah. Just keep running that fucking play. Addo Carr. And if Addo Carr makes a break, you have Matt Dufty trailing exactly like Pappenhausen used to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, just, I, do, I do agree with you that there's, that there's coaching issues. I'm not disagreeing with that. But what I'm saying to you is I know Phil Gould's a genius and he knows a lot. He knows more about football than I'll ever know. But everyone else spends their money on the spine. You guys have spent all your money on outside backs and, 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 and second rollers mainly. Yeah. Yeah. Props, and gigantic props forwards, forwards, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, Tavita Pangai. Now, Kikau is meant to be coming next year. Their recruitment hasn't been bad. I don't know if they're recruiting the right people for those positions, if that makes sense. No, no, no. So I think, no, no, your recruitment, your recruitment's good. I think your recruitment's good. I think your salary cap management's not. No, probably not. Yeah? But anyway, so the Storm, mate, too good. It's good to see Xavier Coates in full flight and, at times. And Pappenheisen got four tries and 28 points, right? Love, love Ryan Pappenheisen, and it's good to see him back and... Flying Ryan got eight tries to nil. Wow. The one thing I'll say about Flying Ryan is... A lot of people say oh, he's small and he's far. God, he's brave. Like the try he scored he's when he brave. actually he's came brave. to a crash play. He's brave. Mate, he's a tiny guy. He came flying he's onto brave. that ball at 100 miles an hour and busted through Burden and scored. Fabulous. And his flowing um, locks oh, was God, just, he's got the, just... He's got the just, best and the worst. Nah, it's not the worst mullet. Jack Whiten's is up there. It's actually probably oh, the best Oh, Jack Whiten's mullet. What is Jack Whiten thinking with I that I don't haircut? fucking know what that is because that's a mixture <laughs> between a... I don't know, a mullet and a mohawk. I don't know what you call it. Anyway, I don't want to talk about this game, but the Storm looked ominous with... They, they've got a good side, a good 17. A good 17. And they easily handled our attack, even though it was rudimentary, but Bromwich, the Bromwich brothers, all those guys defensively moved really well. If I played a flock of seagulls against the Bulldogs today, they would have handled your attack. <laughs> Is this a flock of seagulls from the MCG? <laughs> it could have been. Yeah, okay. Go next, move on to... Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but we did have to cover it. I hope Bulldogs oh, I Hour I just ranted because was... I'm pissed off, but move on to parents. I understand, so I got I some understand. enjoyment out of this game. Yeah, so the Eels got out... Well, Eels got up 48-14. The Eels got out of the blocks fast with Dylan... Dylan Brown's on fire this year, continuing his good start to the season, dancing through the Dragons' right edge to open the scoring. Ten minutes later, he was at it again. He looked like Benji Marshall stepping through, but this time the ball went to the other side. Mitch Moses spotted the fullback out of position and kicked for himself, outsprinting the defence to make a 12-0 after 15 minutes. There's my favourite moment of the weekend in this game, in... Favourite moment of the weekend. But, 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 
it's good to see you happy every now and again. But like a lot of games this season, the Eels were sloppy before halftime with the Dragons front rowers combining and Molo isolating Dylan Brown and eventually Jack Bird scoring to make it 12-6. And then on the stroke of halftime, Lomax potted a penalty to make it 12-8 at halftime. And the Dragons would have been happy, right? Because other than that five minutes before halftime, the Eels were the better side in the first half, right? I thought it was one-sided, but the Dragons held on quite well. They and held on. They did really well. Yeah, yeah. 12 yeah, They were still they were in the game. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were in the game. But after halftime, we blew them away. Moses Zembai failed to ground a Moses Grubber, and uh, Nathan Brown scored to extend the lead, Eels' lead back to 10 to make it 18-8. Para then went back-to-back back three times in a row. Reed Marnie pounced on a crossbody grubber from Mitch Moses, whose kicking game was superb to make it 24-8. Then they made it three on the trot when they, and I'm used they in inverted commas here, the right edge of the Eels, Moses and Penasini torched Sully down the Eels' right edge to put Gutho over. Uh, and the Saints' left-hand edge defence was really struggling this game. It was 30-8 to eight after 55 minutes and three tries in the first 15 minutes of the second half. But it didn't stop there as Wonga Blake got a double to extend the lead to 42-8 to eight with with 10 minutes to go. It's good to see Wonga out in full flight. Um, and Dylan, I like Wonga Blake. Yeah, you do, you do. You've always been a Wonga defender. Yep, I have. You have. You love a good Wonga. So <laughs> Dylan, Dylan, Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses were superb for the Eels. Moses finished with 24 points. It was eight tries to two, and we won the second half, 36 to six. Um, you know, the Eels were good. The second half was excellent, but they had they still haven't strung an 80-minute performance together, in my opinion. They, they, do, they do have dips in concentration. You think so? I thought in the first half they were pretty solid. I don't think they were amazing, but I thought they were quite solid. The Dragons came out on fire. They did drop off the last five minutes. But I also thought the try by the Dragons was really good. I thought Anthony Griffin really failed the team as a coach. By dropping Amone and Sloan? Yeah. I mean, they're youngsters, mate. You want to play? Oh, yeah, them. I agree. I agree. They're going to have the odd game. I, I know it's a results-based business and all this other stuff. No, no, I agree. And and, and what, what were the odds of them beating the Eels, right? They, they was always going to be. Unless we don't know what they're being told or what they have to do during the game, right? But Sloan hasn't been that bad. He hasn't defensively been bad. Now, what he did is to get McCulloch back in the team, he actually ended up weakening the fullback position because Moses Mbai is not Moses Mbai that had super speed when he was younger, right? He's slow and he adds no thrust from the back. All the good teams have thrust from fullback. So that disappeared. He took that away. On top of that, McCulloch was slow and quite poor this game. Whether he's still injured or whatever it was. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think one season too far for McCulloch for me. Look, I've always loved Andrew McCulloch and I thought he was incredibly underrated, but I am wondering whether you're right about that. Like in this game, he just looked off the pace. So he weakened the hooker position a little bit to get McCulloch back in, and then he got a back rower out. And put, Jack Bird didn't play too bad, but you've got to let Amone play, mate. Either he's going to play, he's going to have the odd bad game, but they lacked a bit of directness through the middle. But I thought Ben Hunt, again, tried hard, but team wasn't quite there, but I thought Parra were quite good. The scrambling defence, again, was not bad. This is where I agree with you. Anthony Griffin, the only way Saints were going to win this game is if they did it the way the Titans did it a few weeks ago, 32-28. You go at Parra. You go at Parra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't going to outgrind Parra. No. Paris outgrinded Penrith and bloody Melbourne. So and Melbourne, that's right. It's almost like Para likes those games when it's the stakes are higher and you try to grind them out. They then they settle in a very determined, you know, grind it out mentality. But when you start to free flow, they probably 
like you said, maybe they get overconfident or whatever else, and they there's errors sometimes creep into the game defensively. They get sometimes a little bit more loose. What I'm seeing so far from Dylan Brown is this is the season where it's all coming together. With him, I think there's always an expectation with these young kids that they become amazing after the second year, right? But he's starting to play like the Dylan Brown that played the first three or four games in first grade, where you know they come in T, they're not overcoached, they just play kind of what they see. They run. He's starting to do that. He's really aggressive with his attacking game, and I think it's making a massive difference to Para. Huge. Yeah, huge difference. Huge difference. He's not worrying so much about um. You know what? I've, he's not wor- about the offload and all the rest of it. He's doing no. what's, what he's good at. And the other thing is, have you noticed we're splitting it more evenly between yeah, the sides? Dylan the Brown's yes. on. That's yes. right. It's not always. It's not going ninety percent of the time to Mitch Moses. No, it's not. And it's it's. Because Mitch Moses is an overcaller. Diversifying their attack a little bit, but you know one play, which I don't know if it stood out, but what really made me think his confidence is sky high, when he tried to step and he got hit pretty hard and he just stood there and just casually just handed the ball off to Clint Gut- Gutherson. With oh, yeah, mate, he's a tough little bugger. But it was so he was so calm. Do you know what I mean? It was like he was playing yeah, in slow motion. And I'm like, fuck, this guy's mentally, he's on top of his game, right? Yeah. Like every week he's aggressive, he's running, he's attacking, and that makes Para more dangerous. Um, so, yeah, his first try was fantastic. Um, and the second try where they shifted the ball left and then came back right, and I love when Mitchell Moses plays off the cuff. I think he's, I actually love watching him play. As much as some he shits some people, that kick, looked up, no one's there, bang, kick, chase through. And do you know what? You hear Greg Alexander, and he gets so excited when he sees that type of football. He actually was, like, you could feel like he was almost out of his chair, like, oh my God, that's fantastic footy. He loves watching halfbacks like him, play like him. Half time, I thought, shit, the Dragons have actually kind of been second best, but they're really. Well, they'd game. be happy. Anthony Griffin should have yeah. been happy at half time, yeah. And Josh Kerr made a big difference for them, I thought, at the back end of the half, but mate, after half time, they yeah, got a lucky away. try with uh, Moses and Bayer missing the grounding, but then after that, the second trial by Moses, again, great pass to Penasini, brilliant pass timing. And then his kick inside between three players, and Marnie read that and came out of nowhere, and McCulloch got torched. Just brilliant footy, like great, exciting football, skill, vision, the whole lot. And then it was good to see Wanga score a couple of tries as well, but it was good to see Mitchell Moses attacking going for it off the cuff, attacking the line and doing the in- inside kicks and playing what he's seen. The last try is my favourite try of the weekend. The oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? You know, you know, I'm a massive that was fantastic. fan. Mate, yeah. that was unbelievable skill. Incredible skill. And Moses attacked, passed it, changed hands, flicked past, but Moses looped back around and scored. It's just, that's just... Wasn't it Gutho that threw the skill? pass? Bryce Cartwright. Just I'm, he's. I'm just going to go have a quick look. And Gutherson's just gonna, again. I'm just going to. I'm just going to have a quick look. You know when Penasini thought... scored and they scored the try. They scored that try. Yeah, Gutherson yeah, yeah. comes out of nowhere in the middle of the field. Uh, it's what I mean. He's always there. So, Para, when they click, they've got the ability to beat these teams. But they've got to play. They've got to show some of that magic against the Penriths because that's how you can beat Penrith. You can't grind them out. But good no, win. That's right. That's right. Some just... good exciting signs and some really good. Skillful footy for power. So good win, Saints. But Saints, I don't think they're that bad, mate. But Yeah, but they fl- they deceive. They deceive, right? Yeah, it was Bryce Cartwright. You're right. Griffin needs to get his combos right and um, let them play. Good win by the, okay. the Eels and some exciting footy. 
Good job. All right, shall we move on to the round five yeah. preview? Yeah. You're, you're fired up, G. I got you going on the Bulldogs. It was fucking great. Well, we're playing Penrith this week, so I don't think it's going to be any better. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Go. Well, the Panthers are better than the Storm. They are. Although that Storm first 17 is very strong. So you think you'll go closer than 44 points? All right, we'll get to no, that. No, we game. won't. It's not... but yeah, it'll get... I like that team. <laughs> you got you got 18 and a half start. Anyway, all right, round five. First up on Thursday night, it is the Knights versus Manly. The Knights are $2.75 outsiders. Manly are $1.45 favourites. The Knights have six and a half points start. This is at McDonald Jones Stadium. Actually, I think the Knights might get them. I'm going to tip the Knights this week. I thought they were, again, they were really gallant in defence against the Sharks. I thought the Sharks had some great interchange of passing in that game and very skillful, but the Knights are very skillful um, plays. But the Knights kind of hung in. Other than Talakai... And Manly weren't good. Manly weren't that good. And Manly weren't good. And I think the Knights defensively have been really good this year. And I just think they had an off week with their attack. So I'm expecting it with Ponga back too. I'm expecting it to look a little bit sharper against the Seagulls. And I think defensively they hold Manly out. Because Manly hasn't been that great this year so far. So I'm tipping the Knights to win this one based on their defence, actually. The other thing that's flipping me towards the Knights is I, I, I just don't think Tommy Turbo's been that good this year. He's being watched more closely. He's not getting yeah. the same room to move. And well, because the rules are different, right? He can't yeah, get broken and the field as much. Yes, yeah. there's not as, many spa- not as much space. Because last year, if you remember too, he was actually just getting through gaps. Like, he was just enough, whereas now he's kind of getting halfway through, but he's getting tackled again. Because, like you say, the game's slower. The space isn't quite as big, except if you play the Titans. Okay, um, let's move on to the Friday night games. First up, it's the Warriors versus Cowboys. This is $1.90 each. They're both $1.90, and the Warriors only have one and a half points start. Um, I don't understand why the Warriors aren't favourites. This is a hard game for me to pick, I'd imagine, because of the Cowboys winning two other games. They're probably equal favourites. Uh, I'm going to tip the Warriors. I I think, yeah, I'm tipping the Warriors. I think they'll beat the Cowboys. I They've got enough class and with SJ back. I'm a big SJ fanboy. I think Sean Johnson will give him that polish to... What about Cody Nikarima? You've dropped him pretty quick. I haven't. Cody Nikarima and Sean Johnson are like the dream halves pairing. Nathan Brown just hasn't figured this out yet. Um, right, right. I'm tipping. Right. I'm tipping the Warriors. For someone who, so for someone who pretends they look like Todd Payton, gee, you really tip against his team quite a bit. I'm very jealous. He looks a little bit better than me, so I'm quite jealous. So I'm going for the Warriors. just a little bit, just a little yeah, bit, better a little than bit. You. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit bitter. I just think okay. the Cowboys have been a little bit, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. You know, anyway, I'm, Warriors for me, mate. I'm, I don't. Th- I think it'll be a close game, though. But I'm tipping the Warriors. Yeah, I've got the Warriors as well in a tight one there as well. For the for the Friday night game, it's the Broncos versus the Roosters. Broncos are three dollars seventy five outsiders. Roosters are a dollar twenty eight, and the Broncos have ten and a half points start. I think the Roosters played themselves into some form, and I think they'll beat the Broncos. I do. I, I, they looked good, and they've got Kiri Albert looked, Kelly out. Kiri looked better. Capewell was out on the weekend. I don't know if he'll be Flegler, back this week. Flegler may not play again this season, given he's got to have like 27 charges. You know what? If you're the Roosters, you probably hope Flegler does play because he's a liability at the moment, poor Thomas. The red-headed Rambo. It's, um, I, am, I think the Roosters will just be a little bit too classy now. They're starting... You know, there's better signs every week for the Roosters here and there. It's in flashes, like you say, a bit erratic. You can sort of start to see it coming together. Bit bit. I'm looking so forward really to Herbie good. versus Joey Manu, though. Oh, that'll be good. I'll, yeah, I like that. Down that edge of the field. Yeah, down that edge of the field. It'll be great. Of course. The love bug. The love bug. All right. He's got a lot I'm of junk in his Saturday. trunk. 
okay. I can't believe you said that. Right, next, Super Saturday. You gotta leave it in. Super Saturday, it's the Raiders versus the Storm. First up, the Storm are a dollar twenty favourites. It's in Canberra. Raiders are four dollars fifty outsiders and have twelve and a half point start. Um I you know the storm weren't good, even though it's ridiculous to say they beat you forty four nil, but the storm weren't that good in the first half. They tried to give us the the game in the first half and they still won forty four nil. Uh, and the Raiders, the Raiders were even worse though. So I am going to tip the Storm. But you know the Raiders, I'm I'm tipping the Storm because I don't think this game it doesn't matter where this game's played. But the Raiders are one of these shitty teams that you know when you're tipping, they're playing poorly, and then they play the Storm, and you're like, oh, they're going to beat them easily, and then they somehow yeah, that's true. There's, there's a lot of inconsistency. That's yeah, true. It's like yeah. I'm tipping the Storm because just form wise, they're just I don't know, they'll be too good. And I like. I'm starting to like the look of their team, and I think that you know what I think the game against the Bulldogs will give them a little bit more attacking confidence as well. They really Maybe. opened up against the Bulldogs, yeah. And the second game on shitty Saturday is Souths versus Dragons. Ooh. Souths are a dollar forty-five favourites. Dragons mm. are two dollars seventy-five outsiders. Dragons have seven and a half points start. This is at um, Acor Stadium. You and I might be going to this game, G. We might be. You know, for me, I think I'm going to check to see who the Dragons pick. I think if they go with a little bit more of an attacking lineup, I think they can trouble the Rabbitohs. But if they go with the Dower, you know, Jack Bird at 5'8", eight, eight, um, Moses and Bayer at fullback, and quite a Dower side with McCulloch, I'm going to tip the Rabbitohs. I... I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Rabbitohs, but but on a proviso, I, can I, something people aren't talking about is um, Latrell Mitchell's involvement from fullback is really low. He needs to lift his work rate. Trell's probably in good shape compared to any normal person, but for an elite football player, especially for Latrell, who needs to be a senior member of that team and step up, and he's a fabulous player, he needs to get in better shape. He's like the Zion Williamson of bloody rugby league, seriously. Same size. He is. I'm surprised they don't hang right. out in New Orleans eating all the food, but anyway. It's just a long way to go in between games for Latrell. All right. Latrell, next next up on the last game on Shitty Saturday is the Titans versus the Eels. The Titans, $3.10 outsiders. The Eels are $1.37 favourites, and the Titans have seven and a half points start. Um, geez, the Eels were impressive in the second half today. Very. I, I, you wonder if they can carry that confidence and flamboyance into the next game. and I hope Who they knows which Titans you're getting? With the Titans, honestly, t- t- fuck knows what's going to happen. Like, they yeah, could you don't know which game, Titans you're getting. Or they could get flogged. Like, I Honestly... Don't know. I'm tipping the Eels because I'm more confident in what the Eels will bring. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Titans beat them or get or get flogged. It really wouldn't. I don't know how this game will go. They're all over the place. The Sun. I'm tipping the Eels as well. The Sunday games. First up, we got the Shark. More Bryce Cartwright. Brad Arthur. Okay, Brad. I'm sure Brad Arthur will listen to this pod tomorrow and pick Bryce Cartwright in the starting team. I look forward will. to next week's pod when he's left out of the squad. Correct. So Sharks. Sharks versus the Tigers at <laughs> 4 p.m. On Sunday, um, it's a Shark Park or Points Bet Stadium. I think it's called now. The Sharks are a dollar fifteen favourites. Tigers are five dollars fifty outsiders. The Tigers have seventeen and a half points start, and it may not be enough. The Sharks are going to kill them. The Sharks are probably the team that we will replace. You know, we thought Manly Souths. was going to be up there. Yeah, yeah Manly and Souths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manly and Souths. The sh- Sharks. I think they're just better. I think you're right. Then the Tigers, yeah, I think you might be right. I think that's. I think you're really going out on a limb. I think you're going out on a limb. Who knows? They might not thrash them, but they're going to win for sure. It's just a matter of yeah. how many. I actually, do you know what? I actually would pick if I was betting. Betting, I actually would take the start on the Tigers. Okay, guys, uh, if you want to do your dough in, 
Hey, I think they've been relatively spirited, but they're just not good enough to win. So I don't, I, I don't expect them to get flogged. But the Sharks will be way too good for them. No, I think, I think they'll get flogged. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, yeah, I do. I, I no, just, fair I enough. Understand. Maybe it's we're at that time of the season now where the the new season polish has worn off. It could be. Like, it could yeah. be. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's a bit demoralised there at the moment. And and speaking of another another close game, it'll be the Bulldogs versus the Panthers. Where's this game being played, G? Does it really matter where it's being played? It could be it's played true. at the, the Blacktop Ashfield at the local park. It's irrelevant. All right. Bulldogs are $7 outsiders. Panthers are $1.10 favourites. Bulldogs have 18.5 points start. I am obviously tipping the Panthers. Oh, really? I'm going for the Panthers because... I can't believe you're not going to tip your own team. Like I told you, there's loyalty and there's stupidity. There's the Panthers. It, this is a matter of how by how many. Now, what worries me about this game in particular is... When the Panthers flick the on switch and they come at you with tempo, they can blow you off the park. Defensively, they they up the ante if they you know kind of feel like they're under threat and they're incredibly hard to score against. We're not going to score against them because the Panthers' defense is superb. But I kind of hope the Panthers don't have the on switch in attack because if they do, this could be another 40, 50 point drubbing. Oh, I hope not for your sake. Especially if the conditions are right. If so, well, it's meant to I be would... raining. It's meant to be raining all weekend. So yeah, that wouldn't help. That won't help the Panthers um, in terms of rack, running up the score. But if if the conditions are dry, I will take the Panthers thirty plus. Wow, there you have it. Hard hitting analysis from G, who has apps completely given up on his team. And on Correct. that bombshell, that is, that it brings us right. to the end of another G and T show. So if Thank anybody you, G. listens, if you ever get into trouble, feel free to give me a call. I won't answer or help you out. Yeah, well. Now you know how you now G's friends feel. All right, <laughs> thank you, G. You came in from the back fence, particularly when we started talking about the Bulldogs. Go uh, well. I hope for your luck, for your sake, and all the other Bulldog supporters out there that you put in a much better show against the Panthers. And we'll, we'll, we'll you'll hear from us next week to analyse it all. Take care. Speak to you next week, Mister Moses. See ya. Bye. <laughs>